0: Length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow up. Quick disclaimer the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: I would recommend other than like the larger commercial spaces, sometimes it does make sense to have that outsourced, is to learn the laws and then manage your own properties, and learn tenant law and keep really good tenants in place and then be really proactive when they have issues.
2: Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Scott Haskin. Scott is joining us from Gardnerville, Nevada. He is the founder of Has Properties, and Scott focuses on asset management and property management. Scott is a GP on a warehouse, office, and residential properties. Scott, thank you for joining us, and how are you today?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Ash. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. Scott, before we get started, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
1: Sure. Well, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, California. Great place to grow up Um, and spent a lot of my early years working in and around construction and eventually doing everything from foundation and up. So uh, I have a lot of experience in electrical, plumbing, framing, concrete work, sheetrock, you name it, I've pretty much done it. Then in my mid-20s, I had an opportunity to help start a recycling waste management company in Silicon Valley. And after a couple of years, I was made the president and CEO of that company did that for about 15 years. And during that time, I also started another business that did parking lot sweeping and high pressure spraying and ran that for about eight years. And during that time, that business, the recycling business ended up buying two different commercial properties as we expanded. So that's kind of how I got started in commercial property. And then residential, I've just always had an interest in owning real estate and what a good investment it is in the long run and tax advantages, et cetera. So kind of moved into some real estate investing on my own alongside that other stuff. And that's kind of how I got started in real estate.
2: Scott, what epiphanies did you have when you purchased commercial property for your companies?
1: Epiphanies? Well, I don't know about epiphanies, but the nice thing that worked out on the first property that we got, it was uh, very poorly advertised. And this was obviously pre-internet days. So the sign was overgrown. The broker was from the Central Valley. So he wasn't quite up onto Silicon Valley pricing and stuff. So that was advantageous for us. And that property worked out pretty well, but it was in pretty short order. We realized it was too small. So we needed a larger piece of property. So we ended up buying what was an old cannery building or buildings, multiple buildings. And that was on about four and a half acres, the second property. And there again, I would say that was a big value add property was probably the biggest thing there being an old cannery building. There was a lot of roofing issues and demising malls that needed to be done between these separate spaces to be able to legally rent them separately and all that kind of stuff. So that was a heavy lift from a value add perspective. And I did a lot of the work myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on that second building, did you subdivide it and lease out part of it?
1: Yeah, we did. We used probably, at one time, we were using a half or more of the entire warehouse space, which was about almost 70,000 square feet of warehouse for ourselves. But yeah, then I divided five different spaces over time and rented those all out separately.
2: And you accidentally became a commercial real estate investor and landlord.
1: And landlord at the same time, exactly. And property manager.
2: (laughs) Did you keep the first building?
1: The first building, we eventually sold that one. And a then the, the second, win. this a pretty decent win because we've got it for several hundred thousand under market value at the time we purchased it. And then obviously we had the appreciation that took place over several years. And we did some value add to it, poured some large concrete slabs and renovated the small office that was there, et cetera.
2: Scott, do you still have the second building?
1: The second building? No. We actually used was about 2011, 1031, that into a, an office building in the Central Business District in Lincoln, Nebraska.
2: Tell us more about that property. Numbers, number of units.
1: As far as the office building?
2: The office building.
1: Yeah, it's a 12-story office building with just shy of 5,000 square foot floor plates and a large old safe slash vault area down in the basement, which is used for a data center now. All
2: right. So you did very well with warehouse, commercial space. Why would you go into an office building?
1: Good question. (laughs) It seemed like... This was probably the only property that I had moved into up to that point that was a more stabilized property and didn't have much in the way of value add. So I was looking at more return on effort versus return on investment. And it hasn't quite turned out that way. I thought I had learned by doing my research and reading, et cetera, on the office space. I thought I knew it decently well. But yeah, there's a lot to learn there. Obviously, the TIs are a lot more than you would experience on, say, any other kind of space or whatever. I've never had a uh, residential tenant come basically demand that they want new carpet paint and yada yada you know etc before they'll move in so, so yeah it's different you have to be better capitalized etc
2: what was the purchase price for 60,000 square feet of office space
1: i believe that was five eight and in
2: 2011 what was the current occupancy
1: unfortunately it's gone down a bit we did have some effects of covid and stuff and of you all of our tenants paid and stuff, so we didn't have a collection issues but we did have a bank occupying two floors and Banks are downsizing space a lot of times and stuff, and so we we lost them recently and stuff. So I'd say more recently we're just above fifty percent occupancy. So when we had it when purchased, purchased, it was it? closer to ninety percent. So okay. we've lost a fair amount, and it's a slower market. Stuff doesn't lease up there nearly as fast as I was used to Silicon Valley leasing times, and that was literally days, you know, versus now it's months.
2: And what's the turnaround plan to get this asset functioning again?
1: Well, actually, we're going to sit down with the, my leasing broker out there and stuff, and come up with a new marketing plan and stuff, but something else we've been considering. And if anybody has done this and wants to reach out to me, we'll give you the information at the end of the program here. But I have thought about condoizing it and potentially selling off individual floors, because that seems to make sense from a maximizing its value to me, but also offering a value to people who run businesses and stuff. I know having run businesses myself, I'd rather own the property I'm in versus leasing it.
2: I love that idea. Would you convert any of it to residential?
1: that is probably another play that would potentially make sense. So depending on how things go, I've thought about reaching out to some contractors, developers out in that area and, and see. I think it would potentially make sense, but it my take is that it would probably be a lot more capital intensive than simply selling it off to as is basically to potential owners.
2: Yeah. It's usually a very heavy lift, adding right. all the plumbing, showers, kitchens, ventilation. Right. Is this amongst a number of other office buildings, or is it more standalone in terms of surrounding areas?
1: It's in the CBD. So there are a number of large buildings, bank title buildings and stuff in the area. And stuff. So it's amongst a number of other large buildings.
2: And how did you choose your leasing broker?
1: Actually, we had some other leasing brokers over time, which turned out to, we thought they were doing a fine job, but the leasing wasn't happening nearly as fast as we had hoped. And it seems that they ended up retiring shortly after we got rid of them. So they were, seemed, unfortunately, they may have retired on our watch, but the leasing broker that we're currently using is associated with the same company that handles the property management side of it for us and stuff. And basically just reviewing his resume and seeing how he performs in the market is mainly why we went with him. He seems to be pretty good. He's done much better than the other leasing agents we've had to date.
2: So a pretty good track record in recent times for office Correct.
1: space. Right. Okay. That's all he does. Yeah.
2: And is there a way to get more than one leasing broker on this?
1: It seems, from my experience, that everybody wants an exclusive. We obviously made sure that our arrangement with them will split the commission with another side if any leasing broker's on the other side of the deal. That is about the best thing we've been able to figure out thus far.
2: Where is this again? What town?
1: Lincoln, Nebraska.
2: Okay. What if you get like the top three office people and not the tenants that do retail and industrial and office? I'm talking about the guys that have just had a lot of wins recently in office. Get all of them on board to leasing this property. Can you offer a bit of a bonus to them if they were to bring you tenants?
1: Certainly. That would be and, something we would certainly consider.
2: Yeah. I would reach out to them individually and let them know you're aggressively searching for tenants. You'll do what it takes to get somebody in there. You're liberal with TI within reason, and you would love to give them an additional bonus if they can bring you a tenant. And the reason I throw that out there is if you're in the central business district, there's a number of vacancies in all the surrounding buildings as well. You have to differentiate your building from everyone else's.
1: Agreed. Yeah.
2: So how else can we differentiate this property?
1: Good question. The size of the floor plate, it's smaller than some so it fits really well with certain industries i would say we've had a lot of legal firms in there over the years insurance firms things of that nature that size floor plate works good. a dozen offices or so or whatever so it's not ideal for really large businesses because they'd probably need multiple floors so i think it's really about figuring out exactly who we want to reach out to and that's why i say working on the marketing plan and better targeting some specific folks reaching out to them and like say potentially offering the right incentives to get them in there
2: yeah, I would make sure there's a lot of outbound communication, not just waiting for people to see your sign or your listing and dealing with inbound inquiries. So I would also make sure that your brokers are taking action and reaching out proactively to potential tenants.
1: Agree. That's why I actually kind of put together my own little bit of a marketing plan that I want to go over with their in-house division and really tighten it up and be proactive, especially coming out of COVID, it seems like. Things are starting to warm up, if you will, and a little bit more leasing activity. I think now's the time to, to pounce.
2: Yeah. And Scott, one more thing is I sure. would look at the surrounding cities that are close by, but not too close and look at companies looking to expand into Lincoln. So it's easy to think, all right, I'll take this law firm that's two blocks away, but why not go to a city that's 40, 50 miles away Omaha. and say, hey, law firm, hey, manufacturing company, hey, accounting firm. If you guys thought about opening up in Lincoln, there's a great opportunity in this building.
1: Yeah, agreed. Right? I'd like to reach out to folks in Lincoln in the same industries that we kind of decided to target and see if they're right for some expansion into the Lincoln market. Because It's a gorgeous building. It's beautiful. So I mean, I, I think if I were running some of those businesses, it's the kind of building I would want to be in.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Man. And then don't underestimate little things like Facebook and Craigslist if you can get onto the Lincoln, Nebraska page, the Facebook page, the community page, not the official government page, but the community page that has 20, 30,000 members and they talk about everything from neighborhood crime, politics, schools. They complain, they brag about the greatest restaurant in town, (laughs) just that community forum, right? It's amazing how much buzz and traction you can build. By getting on there and saying, hey, I'm the owner of this building, looking to get some additional tenants in there, would love to answer any questions. Do you know anybody that has a business or that's looking for office space? And get the entire community behind you. If you don't get a lot of traction on that, offer referral bonuses to community members. And you'll be amazed at how quickly your post is shared. It'll go viral because... If you offer up to a $1,000 bonus, depending on how many square feet or whatever that they take, it's free money to all the Facebookers. So why not share your post, right?
1: Sure. Right. Yeah. No, that's then, a good thought. I've, I've used it for residential leasing, but I've never thought about it for the commercial side.
2: Yeah. And again, when that whole community knows that there's a really good guy behind this building, that's the building that's going to stand out.
1: All right. right. I like, appreciate yeah, that. Yeah.
2: Win the hearts and minds, man. There you go. And, and I've been through this. I know how difficult it is to lease office space. I think my first office building was in 2014 and it was fully vacant. It was half constructed even. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, it's a challenge, man. And don't underestimate the little signs that you have. Get the big banner signs, but the little sign that says for rent by the street in front of your building. Ah, okay. As silly as it sounds, Those things work incredibly well.
1: Like a sandwich board out on the corner kind of thing? Yeah. (laughs) uh,
2: Again, it sounds stupid, but man, they work.
1: Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I'm definitely Uh, going to try.
2: So sorry for diving real deep and giving you a whole bunch of
0: opinions on this.
1: (laughs) No problem. That's, That's the one I need the most help with right now. So perfect.
0: We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self storage investing. Visit passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags.
2: So, what else, man? What else do you have going on?
1: Well, I also own a fourplex back in Santa Cruz. I own a duplex up here in the Gardnerville area, as well as a single family home, which I lived in for a while and then moved to my new residence about three and a half years ago. And Probably the most recent thing I did was uh, just in about mid last year, I sold a duplex that I had down in Silicon Valley that I lived in while I was working down there. And uh, 1031, that into a commercial piece of property up here outside of Carson City.
2: What kind of property was that?
1: It's uh, almost three thousand square feet of warehouse space and then another 7,500 square feet of office. So it's All a multi-tenant. Building? No, it's got basically three separate warehouse buildings, one large office building. And some of the warehouses have a small office component, two of them.
2: So kind of like flex space.
1: Yeah, exactly. But the nice thing about this for both sides of the deal was it's a gentleman. He owns a very large contracting outfit in, in the area. So he wanted to remain there and basically control the tenants there. Cause a lot of them are friends of his, etc. who rent space and whatnot. So it's a absolute triple net set up for five years. Not that it's fantastic, but 2% increases and stuff, but it's, it's one of those zero headaches for me. And I think we're both on the same page as far as, maintaining the property, taking good care of it. He's a fantastic guy. So both of us really happy.
2: That's a win. And I love hearing these stories where people from the West Coast have made so much money on residential properties. They literally will sell a duplex or a fourplex and buy a giant shopping center in the Midwest. <laughs> <Right>. Like <laughs> you, a warehouse and office building. So awesome. Talk to me about dealing with commercial tenants versus residential tenants.
1: I've always found the commercial tenants to be a lot easier to deal with. They run businesses, they handle themselves professionally. I've never had a late collection issue. Not that I've really had many of those on the residential side either. I think you know, good tenant selection is key, but no, like the gentleman with this trip on that property, he's got accounting folks, he's got a comp that checks cut on the 20 something of each month, it's never past the first, you know. So it's mailbox money as close as I've ever had. So, uh, I think it's easier and the less tenants and toilets and all that good stuff,
2: yeah. And Scott, the residential investors that fear commercial, what would you say to them?
1: I think if you look at the right type of commercial, there isn't really anything to fear. I would say the biggest thing from my perspective would be to look at multi-tenanted space, just like a single family home versus a fourplex or whatever. If you lose one tenant or whatever, you're only X amount down, not 100% unoccupied. And there again, finding the right location and the right type of space that has the demand. I would say if I was looking on the retail side, which is a little scary to me because we are, in my opinion, a little over-retailed in, the, in America. But I think if you're buying the right space that has the tenant who has to have a space, someone who does haircuts, nail salons, those types of things where you can't outsource that or buy that on Amazon, I think those kinds of places will do well.
2: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And same thing with office space in suburban downtowns instead of central business districts, because now people are wanting to get an office closer to home. Even if they work from home, they've realized the kitchen table is not ideal, the dogs (laughs) running around, the kids, the spouse. So suburban offices are hot as well. What's the hardest lesson you've learned in your entire real estate journey?
1: I don't know if it's a hard lesson, but learned pretty on when I first got the fourplex in Santa Cruz there that no one's going to look after your property as well as you do. I called the property management company that was in place probably two months into it to ask them a question simply about whether someone was paying for a utility or not or something of that nature. And they had no clue what was going on. They didn't know what they were talking about. So they were instantly gone. I pretty much self-managed my properties. I found no one's going to care about your properties as much as you do. No one's going to take as much time and effort in selecting good tenants as you will. So I would say the biggest lesson is good tenant selection. That is good property management. Those two, I mean, obviously finding the right asset, but after you've done that, it's all about keeping the right people there and keeping them as long as you can.
2: Scott, I want to make sure the best ever listeners know what TI is. You mentioned earlier that it was a learning curve, learning about TI in the office space. Can you explain how that works for our best ever listeners?
1: Sure. It refers to TI as short for tenant improvements. So you have a firm that wants to come in and take over an entire floor. They might come walk the space and say, oh, okay, yeah, you know, space would work fine for us. However, we would like LED lighting instead of the lighting you have. We would like brand new carpet versus that carpet that's already there. Oh, those walls that are that color, we'd actually like them bright green or whatever little things that they would like. They try to get all that done before they move in. Now, granted, if from a landlord's perspective, let's say, you just make it simple. Say you're asking $10 a square foot and all those TIs add up to $2 a square foot, you're going to try to amortize that over the, say, five or 10-year lease or whatever you sign with these folks. But it's money. You have to come up with up front to do that work. So you need to be capitalized loans? well enough to do that. What's
2: that? Yeah. Will banks give you loans on that? I haven't
1: specifically gone out and looked just for a loan with, for that. Now, the lender that we have right now, they would probably work with us if we had the right to coming in for a long enough time. Yeah, we could probably get some money from them. So it is certainly something that you can, but there again, it depends on how well is it cash flowing? How much debt do you already
2: have on it, et cetera? Scott, you're a GP on a lot of these properties, right?
1: All but the commercial office building that we were talking about in Lincoln. That one, I'm, I'm 50% owner. All the rest are I personally own.
2: Okay. All the rest of them you have investors on?
1: No, I own
2: 100%. Oh, you own. Oh, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Okay. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: I think it, it comes down to if you're managing your own property specifically, which I would recommend other than like the larger commercial spaces, sometimes it does make sense to have that outsourced, is to learn the laws and then manage your own properties, learn tenant law and keep really good tenants in place and then be really proactive when they have issues. I say in the residential side, the biggest thing that tenants have complaints about is a landlord who's non responsive. So when my tenants get a hold of me about something, I get right back to them, I get someone on the horn, I get taken care of ASAP.
2: Do your tenants have your contact info?
1: They do. Yeah. yeah. Just here's a, a small hint for people who are doing this. When I'm interviewing my tenants, I'm just a property manager because you will hear every whine and headache and story. You know, it's unbelievable the stuff you will hear. And people are very honest and direct with you, unbelievably honest and whatnot. So I always mention that I'm just a property manager and everything that seems to handle things much more smoothly as I'm going through the interview process, et cetera. Now, as soon as I sit down to sign with the lease with them, I let them know, hey. By the way, I actually own this property and you're basically living in my 401k, if you will, and we need things to go smoothly, but that's worked out really well. I think people are responsible to know it's not just some corporation or something that owns their place. It's Scott and they want to treat me well and I want to treat them well.
2: Scott, do you do that with your commercial tenants as well?
1: Commercial tenants, most of the time, they're always clear that I own the property and stuff. they're a little bit more professional. They really don't care who owns it. They're going to treat it the way they're going to treat it. And be usually professional and responsive. Yeah, Less I issues. love that. <laughs> uh, f-
2: thanks for sharing that. And I do the same thing. No, no Every tenant has my cell phone number, email address. They know where I live. You know, somebody said, why wouldn't you get a PO box so your tenants don't know where you live? And I'm like, why do I have to hide? Why am I worried about them knowing where I live?
1: Yeah, I'm not like going to that... do anything that's going to want them to come track my house, <laughs> <laughs> right? You yeah,
2: yeah. Scott, if you can go back and talk to your mid-20s self, what would your advice be? Probably- As it pertains to real estate, sorry. Sure,
1: right. I would probably try to move further faster. i have probably bought something on the average of every four years or so or something like that. But looking back on now, geez, with the internet and the ability to raise money and what stuff, I would probably look at you know, doing syndications and getting into going bigger, faster.
2: And are you going bigger and faster now?
1: I would say going about the same speed. I am going bigger. The deals keep getting slightly larger each time around. But no, I would say because it's just myself mainly, I mean, I bounce ideas off a lot of folks I know and whatnot. And I have a unofficial team, you know, other realtors and stuff that I work with, generally speaking and whatnot. But um, no, I would say I'm just kind of plodding along. And to be quite frank, I'm not so sure with the economy the way it is right now, whether I would be diving in to buy a ton of real estate at this moment in time. So I'm more about kind of getting all my ducks in a row. I'm working on finishing up a refinance of a property now and stuff. So I'm thinking we might hit some slower times here ahead, and I would rather be prepared to hop on some deals.
2: I love it. Scott, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? You bet. Scott, what's the best ever book you recently read?
1: And I'd like to give you two. I read Making in Real Estate by John McNellis, who I believe you guys just interviewed here love, recently.
2: Love that book and love Me too. him.
1: Yeah, very, very personal stories and whatnot, so I enjoyed the read. It was a very good read. The other one was Commercial Real Estate Investing by Mike Sowers which I found to be kind of the opposite of this, very oriented towards, say, like warehousing type space and stuff, but uh, very practical with forms and all the kind of things to kind of help you analyze a property, etc. So one was really good on the stories and kind of giving you some practical advice, and the other one's very uh, hands-on and how to analyze deals and make deals happen.
2: Scott, what's the best ever way you like to give back?
1: I would say probably just working with friends and family and people I meet, you know, advising them on how to set up LLCs and for, right states to pick and tax advice and things of that nature. I've also recently reached out to uh, Junior Achievement. I haven't been hooked up with a teacher yet or anything, but I'd like to start doing something with like college-age folks or something. I know when I was in college, I was very inspired to get into real estate and other things and stuff, but it's kind of hard when you don't have a mentor or someone who has done it and been there before.
2: And Scott, how can the best-ever listeners reach out to you?
1: Uh, probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Just my name, Scott with two T's and Haskin, H-A-S-K-I-N.
2: Scott, thank you again for sharing your time with us today, giving us your background with having multiple different companies under your belt, getting into real estate kind of by accident, becoming a landlord by accident and embracing it and sharing your whole journey with us. So thank you again.
1: No, you bet, Ash. It was fun. Had a good time.
2: Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode please leave us a five-star review share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it also follow subscribe and have a best ever day